Welcome to Kara's Cares, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. I'm Kara Sundland. And certainly as parents, we often beat ourselves up for maybe not doing enough. But there are some things that apparently we do not need to worry about, which is good since we spend a lot of time worrying. Here now with more on that is Dr. Laura Saunders. She's a child psychologist with the Institute of Living in Hartford. Thanks so much for being with us, doctor. Thank you for having me, Kara. So I think today it's different for parenting, right? Today there are a million parenting books, lots of things on social media telling us how to parent the right way, and certainly it can be overwhelming and leaving us feeling like we have to be worried about just too many things. But you say, in fact, we don't actually need to be a great chef, teacher, coach, everything all wrapped up in one. Right. So that was, remember, remember that was uh, COVID, right, where you had to be the parent, you had to be the teacher, you had to be... You had to have like so many different roles and it's just overwhelming for parents. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are some things I really want parents to let go of. And so let's start with the first thing. The, the reality is children, especially young children, do not necessarily need to be taught. You know, they don't need to be taught their ABCs and their and, you know, and handwriting and all these things, especially children under five. They learn best by play, using their imagination, interacting with other children, and observation. That's the best thing that you can do for young children. You don't need to be teaching your three-year-old, you know, showing them flashcards and doing things like that. You need to let that go. Allowing them to play, allowing them to use their imagination, allowing them to be creative is what helps them learn. So that's interesting because, you know, a lot of times the pressure is on getting into, uh, you know, getting your child into a preschool. And, you know, there are some that are more play based. And then there are others that are like, we teach your kids how to read and do flashcards like you just mentioned at three. But um, uh, so the science would show that actually kids are doing better by just doing more of the play based models. So play, creativity, imagination are the best things that you can do for young children. Yes, I mean, you know, I'm not talking about letting a 10-year-old just play all day. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things that can be done that allow your brain to develop in ways that just enhance its its creativity. And, and speaking of that, sometimes boredom will lead to creativity. So you say that's also something we should let go of and just allow our kids to be bored. So allowing your children to experience boredom. So when children are bored, they need to learn the skill of self-soothing, right? So self-soothing is that skill where you learn to regulate your own emotions. And that boredom can also be, it could be emptiness, it could be anxiety. Um, so this, the skill of self-soothing, and that starts in infancy, infancy, right? Allowing infants a little time on their own without a lot of stimulation where they can look look up or look at play with their hands or play with their feet right it's that it's that self-soothing it's the ability to regulate your own emotions so that means we don't need to feel obligated to entertain or provide activities and we actually want to allow children to generate their own ideas yes i mean it's it's when you're bored um which I actually don't like that word, but we'll get into that another time because I think it's usually something else. It's not really boredom. But um, when a child says they're bored, you can offer, like you could do A or B and they often say, no, I don't want to do those two things. And then you say, 
okay, well then find your own activity. And if they are bored, you know, maybe they'll come up, decide that they want to try to draw or want to read. I would really hope that kids are not going to fill all their kind of inner boredom with video games because that's not necessarily allowing their imagination and creativity to be spawned. But, you know, deciding that they're going to play a video game for a short period of time is just that. I'm going to regulate my emotion by playing a video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think this gets harder when they're older. I mean, I notice even my own kids are like, I just need a break. And to them, break means like scrolling through their phone. Uh, you're talking about stuff that uh, let them to be bored and, and, and some of the greatest ideas or, or just pretend can happen that way. Yeah, and, and you know, while I don't necessarily want social media and other in, in video games and whatnot to be the way that kids use all of their sort of downtime, um, I also don't want parents to have to regulate all of that. So it's more about figure out what you're going to do with yourself for the next hour before dinner or before bedtime or before we leave to go somewhere. Um, and so, but then I don't want parents to micromanage that either. Okay. So the other thing is you want, you say, we don't need to worry about getting involved too much in these social conflicts, which happens with kids. And that's really hard. You see your kids maybe get left out or their feelings get hurt even harder if you know the parents of the other child. But you say it's important to allow children to experience social conflict. We need to allow children to experience social conflict because as adults, we all experience conflicts at times. And you need to start to learn the skills on how to manage that when you're younger. Now, I'm not talking about like more extreme situations where um, someone's being put in harm's way or there might be bullying, but I do think to understand the true definition of bullying, it actually means chronic and ongoing with a power differential. So I'm not talking about those kind of situations, but to have a friend that they usually get along with and then they're kind of in a fight or they're not getting along. It's okay. You don't have to fix those things. Let your child figure it out themselves because learning how to solve those conflicts is a lifelong skill. So, and on, in that vein, it's also okay to experience negative emotions. I think when you see your kids really upset or really frustrated, our instinct is, oh, let's just make it better. Let's fix it. So exactly. Relatedly, we can let our children have negative emotions, right? The negative emotions that I'm generally referring to are frustration, anxiety, anger, fear, and resentment, right? So those are really negative emotions. They're very uncomfortable. I mean, if we, as adults, think about it, you know, think about a time when we felt fearful or resentful or anxious um, or angry. We, if they're very uncomfortable feelings, but if we do things to constantly wipe them away, right? How do you wipe them away as adults? You can get on social media, you can use substances. You, you Oftentimes a negative way to cope with those feelings is through negative coping. Um, but so allowing your child to experience those things and not taking it away. Now I'm saying it's very hard, right? To see your child feeling frustrated or resentful or angry or hurt, it's very hard. But, and so I'm not... I'm not suggesting that they wallow in that for days and days on end um, because that would mean that there's a bigger problem, but to allow them to experience those emotions, because if you can learn to tolerate those emotions, you develop what we call distress tolerance. Mm, distress tolerance. So it was something that we probably need as adults too. I, I want to 
I want to explore that a little more. I know you said that it does feel very uncomfortable. I have read some things that said if we were to allow ourselves to just feel the emotion, name it to tame it, so to speak, allow ourselves to feel it, it actually can move through you pretty quickly. It's more our thoughts that yeah. keep it going. Yes, and 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 to you know, as adults, we can help do that for our kids. We can help them identify it. We can say, "Hmm, you seem very frustrated," or, "Boy." boy, it seems like you've been anxious this morning. Are you feeling anxious? I don't know what anxiety is. Well, anxious can be where you have butterflies in your stomach because anxiety you often do feel in a, in a physical or somatic way, right? So we as adults can help label it and the child may say, no, I don't feel that or no, I don't feel that. Okay, well, we tried. Um, but learning to label your feeling, sit with it, breathe through it if you need to, Right talk about it. I mean, that's a novel concept, isn't it? But based on, you know, developmentally, teens are not going to necessarily talk about it too much, but you're giving them that opportunity to say, I feel anxious because, you know, I'm worried about this issue, or I feel frustrated because I didn't get invited to that event and I really wanted to go to that event. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then as a parent, you can just validate that. Wow. That would be, that would be a frustrating, or that would be anxiety provoking, or that could cause worry, right? You can, you can label it, you can validate it, but you don't have to fix it. Hmm. So in that vein, you've gotten you got word that, you know, this your child was excluded. You know, there's a birthday party and all the good friends are going and you're not sure, like, why did my kid get left out? And maybe you even know the parents involved. So we should refrain from trying to say what happened? Why did so and so not invite so and so? Unless it's a serious it's a chronic pattern and you have concern that there's actually a bigger issue at play while it's uncomfortable because as a parent then we then we can easily identify with what it's like to feel left out and again that's the really hard thing about social media is that someone posts something on Instagram oh these two got together and they didn't include me right yeah. so it becomes more obvious about exclusion um and it's I'm not saying it's not painful I'm not saying it's not hurtful but to let your child figure it out yourself. And if they say, I don't know what to say to Sally next time I see her, you could then, because now they're opening the door, right? They're asking your opinion. You can help problem solve. Well, you might say this, or you might say that. So then you're offering some suggestions, but you're not trying to fix it for them. And this is because at the root of it all, uh, we have enough to worry about now, <laughs> but the root of it all, like we're trying to raise functioning adults and these are all things that we're going to have to deal with so if you fix everything they don't really learn is what you're saying right and so what i'm always coming back to in these situations is what's the underlying skill that you want your child to learn mm. and the underlying skill is in conflict resolution is problem solving right how to solve problems as an adult there's a gazillion problems that you encounter on a regular basis you have to develop some strategies for problem solving so Conflict, you know, dealing with conflicts is how to solve a problem. So problem solving is the underlying skill. And the goal is not a childhood free of conflict and negative emotions. And I think we get tripped up on this because even as adults on social media, it's talking about our unresolved trauma or, you know, things that, you know, happen in our childhood. That we're like, oh, my gosh, I never want to do that to my kids. And there's so much more awareness now, which could be a good thing. But I think you know, parents often feel like they're completely responsible for, you know, what's my kid going to talk about in therapy someday? Uh, do we overestimate how much we're influencing everything? Well, I, I don't, 
I do think that parents have a good degree of influence over the the culture that is created in their home. Mm-hmm. However, that's different and, and, and trying to do your best to create structure and routine and consistency to the best of your ability. No one's perfect. So we can we can take take control over what in fact we have control over, but there's so many things we don't have control over and it's being aware of that and not trying to micromanage, right? We've talked about helicopter parenting, trying to micromanage or control every situation. You know, your child's going to join a soccer team. So you go to the coach in advance and you say, my child's a little bit shy. So will you make sure that you include him in all activities? That's micromanaging. That's helicopter parenting. Your child might be a little bit shy, but they need to join the soccer team and figure out, solve the problem of how to be included or how to start a conversation with someone else. They need to figure this out themselves. If we do it for them, they don't learn the skill. So I'll give you an example, and this happens with teens sometimes, um, and, and we love you know, our, our free therapy Wednesdays with Dr. Saunders, but I'm thinking real things where you're stuck and you're not sure the right way to respond. Like, uh, let's say your teen's having a bad day at school, and nowadays, when we were kids, we'd have a bad day at school, and you just have to deal with it because there was no way connecting with your parents. Now you might get a text saying, I'm having an awful day. You know, please come pick me up or um, I just need to come home. Uh, uh, You know, I'll do my homework at home. Please let me go. And we talked about this in a prior conversation about kind of tolerating anxiety or tolerating conflict. How do parents maybe handle that when their kids are texting them from school? Right. So 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 first of all, it's okay to validate. You know, I'm sorry to hear you're having a difficult day or that sounds like it was a confusing situation. Right. You can validate what's going on. Um, but don't jump right into fixing and solving. And I'm telling you, it's hard, right? It's hard for all of us. So it's, it's trying to put a little bit of a pause, you know, saying, okay, it's, you know, it's 12 o'clock. Let's see if you can make it to one o'clock, right? So just trying to put a little bit of pause, let the emotion or the situation sort of settle a little bit, let them get through it. So put a little bit of a pause on it. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's, it's two o'clock and the school day has ended. Um, so, so trying to put it off a little bit, trying to help them tolerate the feeling um, and not trying to jump in and rescue at the first opportunity. Okay. So you might actually let your child come home early if they get back to you at one thirty, and they're still saying, I just can't stand it. Maybe you're going to let them come home, but maybe, or do you say, no, let's make it another hour. I guess, you know, I think some parents get questioned about uh, how flexible should I be? Should I just make a line in the sand of this is what we expect in our house? No ifs, ands, or buts, or all right, I got to be a little bit more flexible here. So and every situation is different, right? So what I, what I recommend is, is that you know your child. If your child never reaches out like this and there has just been a very distressing event and they're reaching out and, and they need some help and support, then it's a, then it's a one and done. Mm-hmm. If your child is someone who, as a general rule, tends to be avoidant, tends to not tolerate distress well, then you're going to want to put things off, right? So then you're going to want to say, check in with the nurse. You know, if it's a chronic problem, you're going to want to plan in place. You're going to want to talk to to guidance or school counseling or, you know, whoever the school support personnel are. 
Um, so know your child. Know that this is like a really odd situation. My child never asked to come home. Um, and, and they seem to be in a great amount of distress. I'm going to support them. But really, in those situations, even try to put that off. Okay. But when it's a more chronic or repeated pattern of behavior, then there needs to be a plan. And you really need to come up with strategies to help them tolerate distress or have a way that they're going to solve the problem that doesn't mean exiting and avoiding the situation. Okay. So uh, number five, you said we really don't need to be our child's friend. And this is also a line that maybe is blurry for parents. So so I, the way that I define friendship, right? So friendship is about mutual trust and sharing. That's what a friend is, right? I share my problems with a friend. They share problems with me. I trust them to, to hold my confidence or I trust them to help me with something. There's mutuality to it. In general, in a parent-child relationship, you sh there's not... There shouldn't be mutual sharing, i.e., you know, I'm not saying you can't say I had a tough day at work and, and talk about how you solve the problem, but you shouldn't be pouring your emotional issues on them or pouring your financial issues on them or pouring things on them that they have no control over and no ability to solve or help you with. Mm -hmm. That is an undue burden for them. Mm -hmm. And you should only extend the amount of trust that a child has earned, Right. And, you know, a, a five-year-old gets very little trust. A 10-year-old gets maybe a smidge more. A 15-year-old, actually, we're probably back down to having no trust at all. But um, <laughs> so the more, you know, so, so trust is something that's earned, right? When you have a friendship, there's mutuality to that. So in a parent-child relationship, there's, there's a difference in the, in the system, as we say. Now, that's different when your child's 25 or 28 or 30. Okay, that's a different, they're an adult, they have their own lives, we can, we can really work on developing or changing the, the nature of our relationship. But when your child is young, they do not have any control over fixing your problems. And in fact, it just becomes an undue burden for them. So, right. So that's why you're defining friendship as we shouldn't be telling them too much um, about our own lives or asking for their advice of should I do this or that with my uh uh, my significant other or whatever. I, I totally get that. But there are those relationships where it almost seems nice where the kids will say, oh, my mom's my best friend and where they tell their moms everything. In that respect, if it's the other way, then is it good to be friendly? We just have to not share our side of the street? Yeah, I mean, so, so what... What I hear you talking about there is what I would call emotional closeness, mm -hmm. right? In emotional closeness, there are, you know, that my child can share things with me. I'm validating and responsive. I'm not trying to fix everything, but I'm validating and responsive. And I accept and hold the emotions or the issues or the things that they're sharing with me, right? In a friendship, I'm then saying, you're not going to believe this, but I've just had the worst day. You know, this happened to me. This, I mean... So emotionally close is a, is a different concept than than a friendship. So, yes. And, and honestly, a lot of teens are not that emotionally close with their parents or they have periods where they sort of ebb and flow. And that's really to be expected because they're real. You know, what's the goal of adolescence? The goal of adolescence is identity formation and learning how to become more independent. So they pull away, they come back, they pull away, come back. That's part of the process. I'm not mm -hmm. saying it's not difficult, but it's still part of the process. Mm -hmm. um, so emotional closeness means that my I feel that my parent is responsive to me 
and is supportive. Yeah, okay, so that makes a lot of sense. And so it's not that we want to be um, stern or step away. Dr. Laura Saunders is not saying don't be friends, don't be friendly with your kids, but we're not having that mutual exchange um, where where that can happen, where sometimes, especially, um, I, I mean, I experienced that a little bit, single parent households where you're the only ones around and there's probably too much oversharing. So we want to define our role as, as we're more overseeing. Um, I don't know if you agree with this. One book that I, I was reading at one point, I can't remember the author of it, but uh, think of your children that they're in the pool and you're, they're supposed to swim to the side. When they really need help, you're going to help pull them out, but you don't get in the pool. Right. So that's a really good analogy, right? So you've created that boundary, right? That's a boundary. That's a boundary is like a rule or a guideline, right? So you need to do some things on your own. Um, and, and I'm there to support you, but you need to kind of learn some of these skills. So it is okay to create boundaries. It is okay to have a hierarchy in a parent child relationship. Um, when they're adults, that's a different story and you can, you know, resort things differently. So the other thing is your life schedule does not need to revolve around your children. I'll repeat that because a lot of parents are probably thinking, what? In day in modern day parenting, I can't have a life. And you're saying your life schedule does not need to revolve around your children. And in fact, there's benefits if it does not. So um, I'm going to tell this little anecdote. So I, I had a neighbor uh, who was always out playing with the kids. So my kids would exit the house and say, you know, Kevin's out and he's pl- and he's, you know, playing with his kids. I'm going to go out and play with. And I'm like, great, you go play with them because I'm just going from work. I'm making I'm getting things ready. Right. So I, I just didn't have I, I just didn't have that capability. I was fine that someone else wanted to do that. But I, I just I didn't have that bandwidth. And and so if it's OK that I don't have to revolve my entire life around my children, that being said, we do revolve a lot of our lives around our children. That's why we have them. We don't have them to, you know, this is not the, you know, the 1910s view where our children are working, you know, starting to work between five and 10, uh, five and 10 years of, of age. And, you know, they are considered little adults, right? That We're not talking about that, but, but to have the, the ability so that, okay, I need to go, you know, when you have a young child, and you can't leave them at home. I need to go to the grocery store. You're coming to the grocery store with me, right? So I'm not going to forego grocery shopping because I can't bring my child there. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying children are always easy to deal with in the grocery store, but you set it up. Okay, listen, I, you know, we're going to be here. We, we need to get our, our list of things. If you can, it's an if then statement, if you can, you know, Stay with me the whole time while we're shopping. I'll let you get a little treat at the end, right? So I'm not saying we can't provide some rewards or reinforcement in some of these situations. Um, but sometimes we as adults have to do things to manage the lives that we all live. And sometimes our children just need to tag along with us. Uh, right. So rather than saying, oh, gosh, it's going to be so boring. I've got to go to the car wash and I've got to go to the grocery store. And and what am I going to do? My kids want to go to the bouncy house or whatever that not every day needs to be, you know, not every Saturday has to be Disney. That, in fact, bringing them to some of these adult centered activities or running on some errands, maybe not 10 hours of them, but some errands actually just teaches them. They learn from observing, as you mentioned before. And and that's life. Yeah. And also it really can be good quality time, right? I love doing those things because that's often where you get your child to share a story if something happened or you get their perspective on something. So, you know, there's, there's ways to make those, 
quality times together. Okay, and children have high levels of plasticity, you say, which might be a fancy word for some, but basically they're very adaptable. So we don't have to worry so much about can't they can they handle this? Right. So I think that's this is a concept that really came up a lot during COVID. I remember so much in the the summer, you know, it was the summer of 2020, right? And kids were going to have to be wearing masks in school. They were going to have to be separated. They, you know, they were going to have all these guidelines. And there was so much discussion from adults saying kids aren't going to be able to do this. You know, they're never going to wear their mask. And I and I said, hold on, let's give them a chance, mm. right? Because kids will do what their peers are doing. So if everyone's wearing masks, they'll wear masks. If everyone's sitting six feet apart, they'll sit six feet apart. That if we as adults sort of set the structure and the guidelines, um, they'll adapt. So, and I think that's something we've really seen during COVID. We've really had our young people come through with a lot of adaptations during these, you know, going on three years of COVID. So to just step back and realize that, Kids are adaptable. I'm not saying let's, you know, throw them in the middle of the ocean and, and have them figure out how to swim, right? But doing things in ways that allow them to adapt, solve problems, tolerate distress, you know, this, we don't need to worry so much about that. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, I like the, uh, what was the word you said? We need to, when we tolerate distress, we build something. It's called. Our pro- well, we build our problem solving ability. Yes, but there's dist- oh distress tolerance. That's what it is. That's that's that's, that's the official. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to write that down on a post-it note. When your when your kids are having a tough day, and rather than interfering, you're like, I'm teaching you distress tolerance. Um, they're, they're developing distress tolerance. Okay. So the other thing is you mention all the time, and I love this, but it bears repeating that um, we really need to give ourselves grace. And parenting really is the hardest job in the world. There's no one doing this perfectly. Parenting is the hardest job in the world. I can't say it enough. So you know what? If I don't feel like I was a good parent today, give yourself the patience and the grace to reset tomorrow, right? To yell a little bit less or to say, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I overreacted about that. I, you know what? I'm learning too, right? That you're mo- What you're modeling is accepting a responsibility for something. So we just need to be good enough parents. And that doesn't mean that we don't need to put in effort. That doesn't mean that we don't need to self-correct at times. We do. Parenting should be about learning, right? And because how you have, you know, your child as an infant is different than five and 10 and 15 and 20 and 25. So we need to learn and adapt and adjust as well. But it is the hardest job. And the more we can just be a little patient with ourselves, take a deep breath, think before we just react and say something, it'll just make our day a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And just remember, we only have to be good enough parents. So that you, back to your mantras that you told us, one of them could just be like, I'm enough. I'm enough. <laughs> right. I always say I'm okay. Like I'm okay. I'm doing the best that I can. It's good enough. Yeah. 
and that's a big difference, especially for those of us who have perfectionist tendencies or those type A personalities of, I read this book, I want to make it, tomorrow I'm going to organize everything and everyone's going to get their homework done on time and so-and-so is going to get a straight A. And, that, you know, we can get wrapped up because there's so much perfectionism out there and products being sold to say that you can, if you do this, you get that. So just a moment to say, hey, I'm good enough, it's enough, um, and that really loving your kids is the most important thing. So we want to appreciate, we appreciate you being here, letting parents know that they don't have to be perfect, and at least there's a several uh, eight things to be specific that we don't need to worry about. So thank you, Dr. Saunders. Thank you, Kara, and have a great day. You as well. Have a good enough day. <laughs> and thank you for being here and watching Kara's Cures. We like to share this content on social media, so if you follow me at Kara Sundlin, you can learn more there. Have a great day, everyone, and be well. <laughs>